This was a challenging passage to, uh, to work through, not because it's, it's, um, there's something difficult about it, it's because we just preached on this, well, it was a few months ago, but, but we preached on this not too long ago. And so without reliving the, the entire passage, without reliving, I, I don't even remember who preached on this passage a few months ago, but without, without rehashing all of that, I, 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 I really wanted to focus on how these prejudices, how these things that come up in our lives, these uh, decisions that we make, the, the way that we think about, about our culture, how these issues plague the gospel. Gospel being the, the number one thing that, uh, that we're here for, that we're uh, supposed to be doing is sharing that. Growing up in the, in the 80s and 90s, and I'm, and I'm dating myself a little bit, but Growing up in the in the 80s and 90s, I grew up in a in a in a very middle class white suburban neighborhood in North Aurora. Uh, but we had a section of our town that was uh, that was um, more African American, more Hispanic, and then and then uh, the school district I was in bust uh, uh, these other kids over from the far southwest side of of the West Aurora School District of Aurora and Montgomery, and bust them all the way to North Aurora, to the east side of North Aurora, which didn't make any sense geographically. But we grew up in, a, in, in an environment in which race didn't really play an issue. This wasn't ever anything that really came up in my daily life that I thought different about somebody that was, had a different color, somebody that spoke maybe broken English, this wasn't anything that, that I ever really thought about. As we went through school, we were taught about the Civil War and the Jim Crow laws of the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and, and still, these things seemed so distant to me. While in school, um, it, it, while we were taught about these things, it, it, it never really seemed to play, uh, play, have an impact on the relationships that I had with, with other people, with my friends. But here in the last few years, it seems like this has become a greater and greater issue in our culture. I don't have the, the answer for why that is, but, but Solomon rightly says there's nothing new under the sun. The same issues that are plaguing our culture today were plaguing his at the time of Solomon and at the time when this passage was written. This is so, so true of all the prejudices that we carry. And we talked about some of these this week in our, in our small group studies of how, how we make distinctions between people because of the music they, that they like, about how they feel about certain church services. But before we get too deep into, into this today, I wanted, to find, I wanted to define this for us so that we all have a working definition of what prejudice really is. And, uh, as defined by dictionary.com, there, um, there was three definitions. They're all pretty similar, but they kind of build on one another. The first one is an unfavorable opinion or feeling formed beforehand without knowledge, thought, or reason. Number two, any preconceived opinion or feeling, either favorable or unfavorable. And number three, and unre unreasonable feelings, opinions, or attitudes, especially of a hostile nature, 
regarding an ethnic, racial, or social religious groups. As we start to look at, when we start looking at scripture as a whole, you can see how this is being played out from, from Genesis all the way through scripture. That there's these racial tensions, there's these prejudices that, that, are, that, are, that are present. The Jews uh, thought this way because they were descendants of Abraham. And so they had this, this idea in the back of their head that they were the only ones that were to be saved. And if you wanted to be part of this group, you had to follow a certain set of rules. You needed to be circumcised. You needed to, you needed to go through these processes in order to obtain this. The Jews wanted to hold on to this, to this idea, this Abrahamic covenant with a closed fist in order to be a part of this. As I said, you needed to do a certain set of rules. And, and the way God had, had originally planned that was for it to be an open hand, that, that it would be shared for the whole world. As we, as we apply this to the Jew, Jewish people in, in Scripture, you can, you can see how, how this there's, there's this thing that is constantly happening all throughout the Old Testament, even through the, even through the New Testament, and we see this in our passage today. So if you're willing and able, please stand. We're going to be in Acts 11. We're going to read the entire passage. I'm not going to touch on the entire passage, but I want to I read it because it's really going to give us an idea of what is happening in the narrative. Luke says, in, in, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Starting in verse 1, now, now the apostles and brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance. I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me, looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, no, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me. And we entered the man's house, and he told us, how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa, bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, and he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then, God gave them the same gift as he gave to us when we believed in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? 
When they heard these things, they fell silent. They glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I thank you for this passage of Scripture as a reminder of of where our culture is. That, That these issues of our lives, these issues in our culture, these issues of prejudice that we build up in our minds, in our hearts, Lord, they, they stop the glory from going to you. Lord, as we dig into this passage, I pray that, that we would calm our minds, our hearts. We have a thousand things going on today and throughout our weeks and so much anxiety about the week to come. Lord, I pray that the, in, this, in these next moments, Lord, that we would find a peace in this place. I pray that uh, this message would be laid on these people's hearts as you've laid it on mine. I pray all of this in, G- uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So keeping all that I've said thus far in mind, that, that, that when we begin to look at the passage closely, we see some issues really jump out at us. First, that, that prejudice puts our perspective ag- above God's plan. When God first had his thought of creating a universe, so the Trinity back in eternity past is sitting together in perfect communion with one another. They don't need anything. They don't need a creation. They don't need us. They don't need anything. And they had this thought of, well, we want to create a universe. At that very moment, God knew that his creation would rebel against him. And at that very moment, he had already made a plan, a way for us to be in communion with him. Because as we rebel, as we sin, we can't be in communion with God. God made his way through the Jewish people, through this Abrahamic covenant, and and through Jesus, his son. This was God's plan before the foundations of the earth. And, but, but we supersede this with our own selfish desires. Even today we do this. We do this with our, with our impatient thinking. We would, rather do way, we would rather do things our way instead of, instead of God's way. When we look at our passage, we can see how, how these apostles and brothers, as Peter returned, got it so wrong. They were more concerned about Peter, a Jew, eating with Cornelius, a Gentile. A little perspective about what this would mean. Eating eating with another person was one of the most intimate settings that you could have. We see this in the story of Zacchaeus, that that as Zacchaeus uh, climbed up in the sycamore tree, it says in in Luke 19, 4 through 7, so he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, that is the the church leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. God's plan was, was to have his gospel go forth. First to the Jews, 
in the, in the covenant that God made with Abraham. All throughout the Old Testament, we can see this over and over and over again, that, that this redemption was coming over and over and over again. God's plan was to use that relationship that he had with the nation of Israel to have a world that was, to show a world that he was loving and compassionate, that he didn't just allow us to, to rebel and, have, and spend eternity away from him, but his desire was to bring all the world to him. Prejudice also puts our perspective above God's purpose. Remember that God chose the nation of Israel. In this plan, he had not changed uh, from the calling of, of Abraham these pe as these people were sent to cap in, into captivity, first in Egypt and then in Assyria. But Paul says in, in, in Romans 1, 16 to 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For it is in the righteousness of God, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. God's purpose in calling Abraham was not to build a select group of people that because of this calling were, were better than, than everyone else, just because they had dietary restrictions or, or because they, they followed a certain set of rules. The purpose was so that God's sovereign plan would be fulfilled. Peter, in our text, had been given this vision, and while he was in prayer, think about that. That's, the, that's, the, that's a hugely important part of this passage, that, that Abraham, or, uh, Peter wasn't just, wasn't just walking from town to town. He wasn't, you know, playing Xbox. He wasn't playing a game. He wasn't, I don't know, I don't know what, what games they played at that time, but he wasn't, he wasn't playing around. He was, he was in prayer. He was, he was in relationship. He was in communion with, with God. He's, he's talking with God, and, and God wants, to, wants his plan to start moving away from Jer Jerusalem, away from Judea. The way that's going to happen is, is, is through these Gentiles. There were Jewish people all throughout the Mediterranean area, but, but the way this gospel was going to go forward was through these Gentiles. But look at verse 2. In verse 2, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. They were called, they were called this rather than Jewish brothers. But what? The reason I think, think that Luke portrayed them in this way is to build a, a huge contrast between who Peter was and what he was representing and who the circumcision party was. You went to the circumcision, circumcised men and ate with them. Their, their concern was, was for their Jewishness, not the gospel. They were finding their identity and their circumcision rather than the righteousness that Jesus provided with the sacrifice on the cross. God's pur purpose in sending Jesus was to, was to come and die on a cross, was not simply to save only the Jews, but the world. 
This is why Jesus cha uh, charged the disciples in Matthew 28, 18 and 19, or sorry, 28, 19. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to, obs to observe all that I have commanded you. This was, this was God's purpose. Sometimes we need a nudge, though. Sometimes we need a nudge to, to follow God's will in our lives. Sometimes those are hard. Sometimes those are easy. I've got a lady in my small group that, that uh, last year when I started leading the group that I'm with now, she was pretty shy, didn't, didn't really want to pray too much, especially out loud. Uh, I started, started encouraging her to pray with our, our women as we split up from time to time to pray simply our men and women as she would lead that prayer time. There was other times when I would, I would ask her to open our time in prayer. And she started doing that or closing our time of prayer. And, and now she feels more comfortable to, to pray out loud as we share prayer requests and, 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 and pray with one another. She needed a nudge. She doesn't have the churchy words that, that I may have standing up here and, and being able to, to give more of an eloquent prayer. But I love when she prays because it's from her heart. It has nothing to do with the churchiness of our prayers. She needed a nudge to pray before our small group. In the same way, at, the, at, at times, we need a nudge to get outside of our comfort zones. God's plan and purpose, uh, through God's plan and purpose, he also made provision for all of this to take place. This provision was, was very much the, the same as as he gave Abraham and Isaac as they went up on Mount Moriah. As they went up there to, to, to sacrifice, and Abraham was going to sacrifice his son. God made provision, though, with a ram for him to sacrifice. In the same way, God provided provision for Peter in our passage. First, with his vision. One thing I don't want you to miss is this whole, again, this whole experience was covered in prayer. Peter has this dream of unclean animals, and God is telling him to eat of these things. This would be completely countercultural to everything that he knew. His, his response was, listen, none of this stuff has ever entered my mouth. Like, I can't start eating this now. What are we doing here? He doesn't understand what's going on. And you can see that, that God didn't just simply give Peter this dream and, and leave him perplexed. Luke uses the word perplexed. He, he doesn't understand what's going on. God doesn't just leave him there. But he had already put in motion exactly what he wanted to take place. I don't know how long the walk would have been between Joppa and Caesarea, but but I'm sure it wasn't five minutes. God had put, a, put his plan in action before this and, and given Cornelius a, an angel. He sent an angel to him so that Cornelius would respond to this as well. And at the same time when, when Peter 
When Peter's vision ended, these men showed up at his house. This wasn't by accident. This was exactly what God wanted to happen. So that Peter wouldn't be left to interpret this dream through his own Jewishness, through his own culture, through his own paradigm, but to confirm what he was just told to do. When we allow our perspective to get in the way of God's provision, we are stealing glory from God. What we see is that Peter has this vision again and was perplexed. He was this way because he didn't understand any of this. He didn't understand how he was supposed to respond to this, but it, when Cornelius sent the men, he, he understood. He went with them. We, though, have a responsibility in this as well. And that is to pre present our profession of the facts. We're supposed to articulate the truth. I want it for a moment for you to put yourself in Peter's shoes. I, like Peter, have this condition called foot and mouth syndrome. I'm glad my issues aren't on the pages of Scripture because they would fill an entire Bible. There's no cure for this. There's no antibiotic. You can't get rid of it. And when, when you think you've gotten rid of it, it comes back two or three times worse at times. But now he's following exactly what God has told him to do. And he's getting heat again for this, for his response to what God has told him. What would your reaction have been in this case? What Peter could have said is, I'm an apostle and that should have been good enough. I've walked and talked with Jesus and, and now you're going to question me at the same time that, that, that I have a relationship with Jesus, I, talk, I talked with him, I ate with him, I saw his miracles. He brought me back through redemption after I denied him three times. I probably would have said something along those lines. And David writes in, in Psalm 34, 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Our tongues are daggers especially to those that are closest to us. We can build somebody up with the words that we say, and we can rip them to shreds in but mere moments. Anyone who has, anyone who has kids can, can think of a time that, that in the other room you hear a crash and a bang, and you call, you call your kids to you, and, 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 and your question is, so what, what happened? There's no, there's no ulterior motive to this. You simply want to know what the facts are. What, what happened? And instantly, you start getting webs of lies, right? They're trying to spin the truth of, to paint themselves in a better picture so that, so that they're not going to be punished as much if there's punishment to be had. In that moment, you just get a version of what the truth is. And FYI, kids, we know that you're lying. Instantly, we know that you're lying. We, though, don't need to fight fire with fire. Peter's response was not one of reaction, but like his Savior, relied on the truth of his situation to be his defense on what was going on. Notice, he did not go along 
uh, go into a long diatribe about what he did or didn't do. He was uh, that of going and eating or, or, sh or sharing the gospel with Cornelius, but simply tells exactly what happened. It didn't tell all the intimate details of it. And, and, and this is a narrative, so I'm sure some of the details have been left out. But he, what we're told is that exactly the facts of the situation. But he simply tells the truth about what happened, and, and this is what we need to, to do. We need to give an account of our act, for our actions. Peter, again, doesn't res, respond with vitriol, but with simply stating the facts of the situation. Well, if anyone had the right to, to respond in such a way, uh, respond with a don't-you-know-who-I-am speech, it probably was Peter in this situation. Peter, one of the leaders of this new religion of the way, Christianity. But remember that with leadership comes responsibility. Part of that responsibility for leaders is, is being accountable to those that we are leading. As I stated earlier, these, these Christians were Jewish first. This was the paradigm in which they're viewing their Christianity. They didn't stop being Jewish because now they believe in Jesus. This was the way that they viewed their world. They still were under the impression that this was going to be a different kind of Jewishness. Jesus didn't stop being Jewish and neither were they. Through God's vision to Peter, though, the angel and the angel that he sent to Cornelius, he turned this thinking on his head, on its head. We can, we, cannot do, we can do the same thing in our world today that spins these webs of truth, that we can present this truth in our world to those that are closest to us, those that we work with, those that are in our circle of influence. I don't want to say that we shouldn't try and justify ourselves because we should at times, and, and we have a pattern to do so here. The pattern is the truth and nothing but it. Notice in verse 12 that Peter was being led by the Spirit. If we started allowing ourselves to be led by the Spirit, how much would our world be turned on its head? How much more will we be sharing the gospel with those that at times we feel that pull on our heart? Pray with this person. Share with this person. I think that would save us a lot of anxiety and, and aggravation at times. Some, some, of those, uh, some of those prayers, God, I'm sorry for, for not following your spirit here. One of the ways that will help us do this is to appear with witnesses. Notice in our text that Pet Peter was not alone on his journey. He was with others. And in verse 12, it says, And, and, and the spirit told me to go with them making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. You see, if Peter would have said, listen, guys, I got this. Like, it's just a simple house call. I can, I can, I can handle this. I, I don't really understand what's going on, but I've got this. You guys relax. I'll be gone for a day, maybe two the ramifications would have been 
some of the other apostles may not have believed him as much, would not have trusted exactly what he was telling them. This wouldn't have changed what had taken place. It wouldn't have changed the fact that Cornelius and those that were with him were saved. It wouldn't have changed any of that. But having those witnesses with him brought, brought with it truth, brought with it security, brought with it some weightiness to his testimony. I think this is a good point to have our, our theology lesson for this, this morning. So, so our theology lesson this morning is there's nothing that we do that could ever thwart God's plan. God is going to accomplish his will for eternity, whether we're on board or we're not on board. Don't take that, though, as we don't have a role to play in that. Because God has decided that he's going to use fallen men and women like us to accomplish his will. That means it's going to be imperfect. He knows this. We can't, we can't save someone, and we can't, but we can stop someone from being saved in a moment. If God is, is putting on your heart to, to share the gospel with someone, share it. If, it's, if God's putting on your heart, the Spirit's putting on your heart to pray with someone, someone pray for them. This may be the only moment that they ever have to hear the truth, the hope that we just celebrated last weekend. Here's the good news, though, that even though we're all so messed up and completely sinful in every way, Jesus did not die for the godly but the ungodly. He did not die for the righteous but the unrighteous. That's, that's why we need to hear the gospel all the time so that we don't forget it, so we don't forget the good news of what, was hap what, what we celebrated last weekend as we came together on Friday night and, and mourned together the death of our Savior, and on Sunday morning we came to church and rejoiced together on Easter morning. What matters is, is the blood of Jesus covers the worst of our sins. That's why the gospel will always prevail. There are four things in which I want, to I want you to hear this morning and as, as I close. These four things in which we should be striving to do, uh, we, we don't want to get caught in the same place as these first century Christians were. First, we should know it. Peter knew the gospel. He was present with Jesus. He walked and talked with him. He was one of the first Apostles that was called. Peter knew the gospel and, and he was with Jesus. Peter, Peter had been obedient to the point that it was completely uncomfortable to him. Peter, parts of Peter didn't want to go with these men. He didn't want to go to Caesarea. He didn't want to eat of, of these animals in his vision. But he was obedient in this. This means that we don't need to just read our Bibles and have our devotional time. But, but those are important, but that we would know what the gospel is. That we would know that good news of Easter, that we're all sinners and so desperate, uh, in, desperately in need of a Savior. 
We cannot earn our salvation. Your most righteous deeds are but filthy rags to God. But God loved us so much that Jesus died, that he sent Jesus, and Jesus died in our place. And his shed blood covers our sins. And with that, those that trust in Jesus for the forgiveness, uh, for the forgiveness of their sins will spend eternal life with the Trinity. We as Christians need to be able to articulate these truths to those that we come in contact with. Secondly, we need to live it. We need to live the gospel out in our lives. If, if you're one of those Christians that is always angry, always anxious, always not a fun guy to be around. If you're, the, if you're the person that nobody wants to be around at work, we ha you have to check that at the door. Start living your life in light of the gospel that you are going to spend eternity with Christ. The gospel, let me tell you, is not something easy to believe. It sounds like some bad story that a creator creates this creation and 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 they rebel against him. And then, then the rebellion leads to his son being killed. That's not something easy to believe. And Jesus didn't die, didn't stay dead, but he rose from the grave. It gets harder as you get deeper into the gospel. So your attitude, the way you present it, the way you live your life will determine, will help determine whether people believe or don't believe. You have an impact on that. And that is truth so put a smile on your face as my mom as my mom and dad say put a smile on your face and a song in your heart share the gospel this is the best gift that's ever been given to to any, to our world next we need to share it peter didn't just his response was not just to go to this house and eat with cornelius and have some bacon and some pork chops that wasn't his, his only response, but his response was to share the gospel. It's not good enough that you're living in light of the gospel. You must share it. Jesus told his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. It wasn't this gospel, this, this new religion wasn't supposed to stay in Jerusalem. It wasn't supposed to stay in Judea. It wasn't supposed to stay in Israel. Jesus told them to go to the ends of the earth. But we do have a role to play in this, and this is why God has chosen to interact with his creation. And he's chosen us as Christians, those who believe in Jesus, to be his mouthpiece, to be the ones in the world sharing this. You see, one can, can know there is a God by waking up and seeing an amazing sunset. Or sunrise, sorry. Maybe sunset, depending on how long they stayed up the night before. Or you can look up on a, on a perfect night, especially out here in rural DeKalb and, and Lee County, and be able to see a billion stars. You can know there's a creator, but that's not good enough. It's not good enough simply to, to, to understand that there's a creator of all of this. You have to know that 
You're imperfect. And you, there's no way that you can have communion with God being imperfect. And you need a Savior for that. So we have to share the gospel. Lastly, we must rejoice in the gospel. When others come to the saving knowledge of who Jesus is, then we need to rejoice in that. There should be something welling up within us that, that there is a rejoicing happen, that, that more came and is going to be part of our family for all of eternity. What an amazing thing that is, that just like we were once dead and now are alive, others are coming to that same knowledge as well. Luke says in, in verse 18 in our passage, when they heard these things, they fell silent. They couldn't speak. But they were moved, and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. That deserves an amen. If this didn't happen, you and I would not be here right now. If God didn't grant repentance to the Gentiles, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't get to celebrate Easter each year. We wouldn't get to celebrate those things. Let us rejoice in the light of this in our daily lives. That should bring a smile to our face and a song in our heart. Let us rejoice with those that are around us that God has granted us repentance. 